Wheel of Morality, turn, turn, turn. What kind of action does Undertale spurn? Tonight, on the Commune Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Commune Podcast. Today we will be talking about Undertale and morality, but before we get to that, I would like to ask, uh, Adrian, how have you been doing these past 24 hours? (laughs) Pretty good. Alright. Shouty, how do we find you tonight? Um, I'm eating a scallion pancake. A a scallion pancake? Yeah, it's Chinese. At least it came from a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, that's a good Chinese food item. I gotta... I gotta find this. Go to any Chinese restaurant ever. Well, those are hard to find. Uh, Sometimes they're just called vegetable pancakes. (laughs) Oh. Okay. Wario fan, what's your favorite flavor of pancake? Um, ooh. <clears throat> blueberry. Oh, I I just had blueberry pancakes for dinner. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that explains a couple of things. <laughs> uh, yourself, what is your favorite flavor of pancake? Are we doing the sound test again? <laughs> 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 I, like, I like a good chocolate chip pancake. No chocolate chip. Okay. I'm more of a chocolate chip waffle man, but you know. Nah, that's terrible. Okay. You don't fuck with waffles. <laughs> we'll have to print that on a T-shirt and sell it on Cafe Press <laughs> or Etsy. Ooh, yeah, uh, that might be a little too niche. I don't know. Spike, what what is your favorite flavor of pancake? No, I don't get. Uh... I don't care. I love everything. Oh. That's right. He's a Yoshi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I eat everything. I can get behind that. I love all pancakes. So, Spike, uh, what have you been playing? Uh, Magicka 2. You've been uh, uploading videos, right? Yeah. And Turok. Yes, I finished the game today. Oh, nice. Did you play the first Magicka, or did you just did you just jump straight into the second one? Yeah, I just played uh, the second without playing one. Okay. I was curious about the differences between the two, because um, I saw some comments about that. Mm. What kind of game is Magicka 2? Well, it's a top-down, uh, like, RPG uh, shooter, if you ask me. It's difficult to explain, but basically you... You can make combinations of different elements, and you can make attacks out of it. Yeah, isn't it like uh, different keys on the keyboard represent different elements, and then you you press different keys to combine them differently? Yeah. When you say it's a top-down shooter, should I be thinking of something like Geometry Wars? No, uh, you uh, control it as a MOBA, actually. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Which means a lot of it is... Which means your movement is mouse-based. Yeah, clicking around. Okay. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, You move around with the mouse. Do you also aim with the mouse? Yeah. Okay. That's like a competitive game, right? Um, The first game, yes. But the second game has more in campaign and you work together with your friends. Okay, so there might be something uh, there even when I can't find someone. Uh, Yeah. Of course, you can kill each other. Accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. Yeah. 
there's the free-to-play competitive game Wizard Wars that uh, I know Mike showed us like maybe two years ago or something. It was a really long time ago that uh, we could probably try out for free. It sounds cool. Yourself, what have you been playing? You said you were playing Dragon's Crown. Oh, um, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I just played some of that today. I haven't been playing it a lot recently, but um, yeah, Dragon's Crown is nice. It's kind of the other end of the spectrum from Magic Sword in terms of beat 'em up adventure games, and that it's as complex as you're going to get, probably, uh, with the like actual RPG elements and character equipment and stuff like that. So it has a pretty thorough uh, character customization and, and progression. But what about the combat itself? Are are the combos easy to learn? Are are there many of them? Uh, how does combat flow? It's pretty straightforward. It's the same or recognizable from previous Vanillaware games in that it's based around a single attack button. Uh, like, you can hold the attack button to block. Uh, that's I guess they've been doing that since Tower of Doom. And the combo variations are basically derived from pressing up while you attack or down while you attack to do uh, variations on your basic attack. But it's not like preset strings or anything like that. All right. If I've played previous Vanillaware games, is there anything that would draw me to Dragon's Crown in particular? Well, its main draw is the four-player co-op, but I don't really do that. It also has multiple character classes. That's uh, fun to screw around with. And like I said, the RPG elements are a bit stronger, although I'm not sure that's a huge draw. It also uses a belt area like a standard beat-em-up like final fight versus previous vanilla or games which are just flat 2d Ooh, it didn't sound like you were having uh, any issues with that it, it still works even though it's in three dimensions yeah it doesn't make uh too substantial a difference i bet that yeah it makes it easier to fit four people in though i'm sure that's why that change is necessary although one of the reasons I haven't messed with the multiplayer, other than the fact that it's probably long dead, is that it gets pretty visually noisy and uh, a bit hard to figure out what's going on when you've got a lot of characters on screen. Is that typical with Vanillaware? Because I know they always, I mean, their calling card is being super pretty. Do you think maybe it's too pretty? Maybe. I don't have any trouble with it in single-player Dragon's Crown or their other games, though. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, Wario fan, what have you been playing? Oh, uh, just a few days ago, I, I played a game on my iPad called The Room. No relation to the movie. No relation to Silent Hill 4? Damn. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, the ever-classic Silent Hill 4. <laughs> the Room. And it's it's also surprisingly not an escape room game, but it is sort of in that um, style where you're trying to unlock a box and there's just all these little trinkets and gizmos and stuff to it that you, you're just trying to look for all these little hints on how to how to keep digging deeper. So it's an adventure game. 
Yeah, it's a adventure game where you're just kind of sitting in a room trying to unlock a box. No, Guybrush Threepwood drowning himself or anything like that. <laughs> so you play with different gizmos and stuff. Is there a lot of cool touch control stuff going on? Oh, absolutely. There's even uh, some some tilt control going on too. That I, it took me a while to realize it was taking advantage of that. So, like, there's multi-touch tilt controls. It just it uses the whole gambit of uh, of features there. That sounds pretty cool. I could use a good a good touch game. Well, there's two sequels that I'm kind of excited to get into. I haven't bought them yet, but like, if they're expanding on the ideas of the first one, that's like, holy crap. And I think by that point, they do evolve into escape room games, but I felt so clever just solving those puzzles because I, I was able to do pretty much all of it without a rock through. So I was like, holy cow, I'm smart. It's always satisfying. Mm. Yeah. Which is not Funny something up. I can uh, say about Monkey Island. <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> all right. Shaddy, what have you been playing? Let's just say I've been playing Super Mario Advance 4. On the Virtual Console for Wii U. Yeah, we discussed the uh, the e-reader levels. Yeah, well, I was playing uh, yeah World E, the one that are unlocked from the beginning. What do you think of the uh, voice clips and the white gloves? Good. Just what I needed. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, and uh, Adrian, what have you been playing? Alright, it's the same four games I listed last time. Sins of Solar Empire, Ninja Gaiden, Valkyrie Chronicles, but the one you really want me to talk about is The Legend of Zelda's Second Quest. That's the only one anyone wants to hear about. <laughs> I want to yep. hear about Sins of Solar Empire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just re-watching my own videos and taking notes, so it's nothing exciting, really. Because, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff to keep track of. Still not settling in? No. What happens when you... When you open a game and you just mess around? Uh, I realized that, oh shit, it doesn't actually work out that well, I don't find. I find that, oh, I don't remember what these stupid requirements are, because sometimes it's like the info cards don't actually give you everything you need to know. I know one thing, when you upgrade certain things, it doesn't actually say what the requirements are. Sometimes you need to be a higher level, sometimes I don't even know. So, uh, just stuff in the interface... Like the top where they tell you about squadrons that you need for capital ships and junk like that. And then there's other features like the black market, which I just don't even remember how to take advantage of. Because uh, it turns out that a lot of those tutorials just really did not sink in. And I'll say the big issue right now is that only the first tutorial had it where they do, uh, you know, we'll show you a thing. Now you go do it yourself. It's like, you know how you play like Advance Wars or something where they'll tell you something and then they'll make you do it and they'll kind of restrict your options and but only things like click this, then click this, and click this, and that's how you do the thing. Well, they basically stopped doing that after like the first or even the second tutorial, where it's just, all right, here's what this is, here's what this is, here's what this is. They don't even let you touch it, and that kind of sucks. Do you think it would help if there was like a little manual tooltip if you right-clicked on an icon or something like that, just to say, hey, this is what you can do when you interact with this thing? You mean like in Hoboken? <laughs> There's definitely help. There's definitely in-game help. For stuff like that, it's not like tutorial length, but it, um, maybe... it, already, it already has the info cards, which is what the in-game help is. And I think it also right. has the um, the thing in the top left that tells you, you 
know, where the ships are and whatever. Sounds like maybe you're trying to absorb too much information at once. Stuff like upgrades in the black market, you shouldn't even worry about when you're first learning how to play the game. I mean, uh, the tutorials don't do a great job of telling you that you don't need to, but you should just be worried about building a ton of light cruisers and missile cruisers. And yeah, but that's the thing. It's like they tell me planets. that they'll tell me like, "Oh, you can't build a cruiser." And I'm like, "Why?" And it doesn't give a good reason as to why. Like, I'll show you the video of like what what was going on. And why sure. it just wasn't working out well. Yeah, sure. Okay, so maybe the game could be a little clearer about what information you need and what you don't. Undertale gave us the feeling that it had a sense of morality. How did we get that feeling? In this upcoming segment, Spike is only present for a little while. Unfortunately, we had technical difficulties with this connection. So this time, I wanted to speak to Undertale's approach to morality, with the caveat that none of us are ethicists, and uh, just coming at this from a simple understanding of morality as a system of understanding what is right and what is wrong, and... uh, however arbitrary that decision may be. So, just to get off on a simple start, or a hopefully simple start, Spike, how does Undertale imply a moral dimension to your decisions? Or, I guess I should ask, does it? Uh, not uh, right at the start, but it makes sense. Uh, give, uh, give it away later on. I don't really know. I'm not a good person in English right now. <laughs> no, we understand. All right. What is it that Sans says? But your accents are like uh, you know you, you encounter him in the great hallway in the castle. That's where you really um, gonna understand that this game has morality bound to it. Yeah, you're speaking about that moment where he comes up to you and he judges you based on your experience points, right? Yes. Shouty, would you want to talk to how that scene? It gives light to some moral implications. It's not really implications, because Sam just states it outright. So it's more just stating the morals outright, rather than your actions um, having any implied effect on the world. So what is it that, what is the system of morality that Sam sets forth? That killing is wrong and solving conflicts uh, peacefully is right. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, we all pretty much got the sense that Sans was pissed off if you killed people and was happy if you didn't. Yeah. That's certainly, it's easy to tell that's what he thinks is right and what is wrong. Wario fan, is there anyone else in the game that either agrees with Sans or maybe presents a contradictory sense of morality? Well, I suppose uh, you could say that um, Flowey is sort of the, uh, well, I don't know if I want to say opposite, but he sort of presents the idea that uh, there's only one real moral choice. Otherwise, you know, you're just wasting your time. Yeah, it's, it's kill or be killed is what he says. He, like, he's, he's encouraging you to just play the game like you would any other uh, game with a fight system. Okay. 
and either yourself or Adrian, um, would you not speak to what Undine thinks is right and what is wrong? Uh, I guess Undine didn't talk to me enough to expand on this. Oh, ideas. <laughs> uh, yeah, a dialogue may be helpful for learning what she thinks. Uh, so, Adrian, uh, would you be able to speak to what Undine thinks is right and what is wrong? And yeah, after she's... that, I have a further point oh, okay. on your question. Yeah, so Undine's pretty much like Sans, where she chastises you if you kill anyone. But if you don't kill anyone, not only will she say something completely different, but uh, that also gives you the opportunity to befriend her. Undine is mad if you kill people. Yeah. Uh, but she also attempts to kill you. Yep. Everyone is. Because they need your soul in order to escape the underworld. So she pretty clearly disagrees with Sans, at least on some level. Not only does Undyne still want to kill you, she gets mad at you for being a goody two-shoes for not killing anyone. So oh, uh, to that end, it's damned yeah. if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah, because they want to escape the underworld just that badly that um, she'd actually rather you not be a goody two-shoes so it makes her job easier or makes it easier for her to you know, fight you and not feel bad about it. Yeah, so she, uh, in her brand of morality, uh, whether someone deserves to live or die depends on what kind of person they are, whereas Sans might argue that everybody deserves something. Right. All right. You can also throw in Asgore in there because he's another character where he's pretty much trying to kill you. Yeah, pretty much. Yourself, what was it, What was your thought? So, as Shadi pointed out, Undine is kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. One of the things that, at least in playing the game only once, you don't necessarily see characters say this is right and this is wrong. Uh, when Sans passes judgment on you, he bitches at you for killing people, but he doesn't tell you what the alternative is. And I don't know, because I haven't played in a more pacifist manner, but I don't know if in that case he makes it explicit that uh, he's judging you based on whether you kill. He definitely doesn't say that he's judging you on your experience level, despite the fact that he does explain that, what it means, I mean. I see. that There may be some some steps we're assuming, based on our understanding of Sans's character, we may be drawing implications out of something that is not explicitly stated by him. Right. There's ambiguity to the morality because it's a game that you can make your own decisions in. There is Toriel, who teaches you to act and, and speak to people and strike up conversation. So there is at least one character who says this is right. Yeah, she does that at the beginning of the game. And if you talk to the frog, it's, you know, he says, most monsters don't want to fight. So if you see the spare command... Please show some mercy, humans. Something along those lines. When Toriel teaches you to act, does she imply a moral dimension to it? Toriel has a sort of simplistic way of saying things such that violence isn't even suggested. Yeah, when she says it, it's just, this is how you do things, not this is the right way to do things. Right. It's almost, I mean, I guess fitting with Toriel's character, she doesn't even imagine that violence exists. Right. All right. Wario fan, did you ever feel like you were judged 
based on your decisions in dialogue outside of combat? Not outside of the explicit judging scene at the very end. I can't say I felt that way. Okay. Does anyone have anything to say for that? Or I don't know so- if any of the other characters in dialogue are particularly judgmental. Uh, well, I, mean, I, I disagree. Yeah. I, um, when you say that uh, was it Junior Jumble was harder than crossword puzzles, or, or vice versa, I can't remember, but either way, Sans says you're a liar if you um, choose the option that Sans wants you to. Yeah. So I feel like I'm being there, and whether or not he thinks I'm, he doesn't think I'm being sincere. Yeah, he th- he thanks you just for being a nice guy to his brother. For lying. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty judgmental. Does anyone other than Sans do it though? I mean, for instance, you have dialogue options with Asphyxius or whatever, and Alfie. Yeah. She reacts to stuff you do, but she doesn't pass judgment on you. No, because she's afraid of you. Yeah, she'll say she was watching your fights, and then... Well, if you do the passers run, this is how it goes. She'll say she was watching your fights, and then... At some point, she actually says, Because you were being nice, then I, I don't know, I found myself started rooting for you. The dialogue goes something like that, but... um, Yeah, she does actually judge you where part of the reason why she befriends you is because you were being nice to everyone to where she is on your side, even with your fight with Undine, who she has a crush on. No, still, none of that happened in my game. <laughs> you didn't do a pacifist run, that's why. You didn't play it right. I played it right. I actually, uh, I got that, even though I killed Toriel. I won. Oh. Stop saying that. <laughs> About judge about characters judging you. Doesn't Toriel kind of pass judgment on you for the dialogue options you make? How so? I think she, well, she like you with her, call her mom, <laughs> or call her uh, flirt with her, then call her mom. She says you're nice. She says you're an interesting child. Yeah, I don't know if we're getting into morality there. I don't know if a lot of these are moral. I was just about to say that we're not really making a distinction. Like when they're still judgments, aren't they? Yeah, but true, and that was the question. I was just going to add that there's a distinction between moral judgments and just character judgments. And when Alphys or whoever says you're a nice guy, I want to hang around with you, that is not a moral judgment. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? Wait, wait, wait! Saying you're a nice guy is not a moral judgment. No, that's not immoral, being nice. (laughs) Yeah. Or at least she doesn't imply that um, being nice... She doesn't do anything to put being nice in the realm of morals. Yeah, and in this case, niceness is a collection of morals. I don't know. I thought kindness was considered a virtue. Yeah, but that's you taking it outside of the game and bringing it in. There's no one... If if her stated reason... Or why she starts rooting for you is because of your behavior in the game. I don't know. That's, That's... not necessarily moral. I mean, I root for the Ravens because I'm from Baltimore. I don't believe being from Baltimore is a moral thing. Well, speak for yourself. Well, she's not rooting for you because you're a human. 
it's because that comparison doesn't really fit. She's rooting for you because you're a good guy. Mm, if she said you're a good person or you're a good guy or whatever, but that that's certainly not what she said to me. I think Alfie's just lonely. Yeah, it sounded like she just gets along with you, and so she's rooting for you. Mm-hmm. Or she looks up to you. Honestly, I got... Well, I got the impression she was just impressed, even without playing pacifist. Oh, that that raises more questions, but anyway. Yeah, I think, you know, Alfie's character has some amount of depth to it, but I'm not sure how much of it is on a moral spectrum. I think she's impressionable is part of what I get from it, which is why it doesn't really matter whether you have killed people or not. Or whether you killed Undine. Is this based on, on your opinion of Mew Mew too? <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. She asked you to watch that, and I said, no, that's... No, she, she hates she Mew asked, Mew too. She asked you to watch it with her, though. No, the no, first one. The first. She hates yeah. the second one. The sequel mm. series. Um, wasn't paying that close of attention. Yeah, maybe that, there's some morals there. <laughs> Wait, there is another character that judges you. How could I ever forget? Mushroom oh. Dance. Oh, yeah. The, actually, wait. Tell us about Mushroom Dance. Mushroom Dance uh, interprets your actions via a song and dance routine called Mushroom Dance. And what it means is uh, you've lived the life of sin if you've killed people. So sin is an inherently moral term. Do you know what it says if you're a pacifist? I read it, and it's just something that's hard to remember. I mean, does it does it say a good thing? No, it says... Well, yeah, but it's like... It wouldn't be clear that it's telling you you're doing a good job. Okay. Hmm. Wario fan, how strict would you say is Undertale's morality? Would you say, is it open to interpretation, or within the world of the game, do you always know what is good and what is bad? Boy, that's uh, overwhelming. <laughs> um, all right, are, are we trying to use like Undertale applying to real life here, or just within its own confines? Yeah, just within its own confines. Okay. I don't really know if Undertale's morality is open to interpretation. I mean, it, it, it seems pretty clear the game tries to tell you that uh, being friends is right and killing is wrong. I mean, you get scolded for killing and you get happy endings for uh, saving people. So, um, yeah. in that sense, it's it's pretty clear which which one they're telling you is right and which one they're telling you is wrong. Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward, simple message. And not one, as far as, you know, what the message is versus how it's executed. Regarding what it is, I don't think it's one that many of us are really going to disagree with. I mean, who who here is really going to say killing is right? We're all pretty much on board with that message. This is an interesting thing going on where, like, what is right, and good in a game is to succeed by its rules. And so Undertale just picked rules that were aligned with a certain message. And so being good at the game 
means some kind of thing we recognize as morality outside of the game. So does that mean Undertale them Super Mario Brothers because you throw Bowser into lava at the very end? (laughs) But then in Super Mario Brothers, that's the good and right thing to do because that's how you... I do like the way that Undertale uh, sort of puts in morality into its gameplay so that you can play it in different ways. If you want to go evil, you can go evil. If you want to go good, you can go good. And the way it puts that into the combat of using actions versus the fight. Uh, That stuff I did like about the game. And, well, for me, I felt that it pushed me to playing uh, the pacifist route. And that I actually, maybe uh, a bit too quick to jump to the conclusion that playing pacifist might have actually been easier than playing a neutral route. Uh, For the standard enemies, I would say that that is still true. Because most enemies you can befriend and then spare within a single turn. It isn't until you get to the bosses where you have to survive their entire sequence that um, probably going the fight route would have been better. You're still, though, either way, you'd have to bear in mind that different people have different skills, and so uh, this would be a hard person to find, but someone may be just entirely stumped by some of uh, the requirements for a pacifist run. And so a pacifist run is easier uh, in terms of resource management or something, but not in terms of puzzles. Okay, here's what I would have figured. I would figure that um, pacifist would have been easier for, you know, standard enemies but not for bosses, where if you're not good at those shmup segments, either have a lot of those healing items or you're pretty screwed. I mean, most of the puzzles in Undertale, even that, you can still brute force those, brute force those, although shouldn't need to. But the shmup sections... You're not really going to brute force your way through that without healing items, so that's one difference there. Now that we've discussed the source of Undertale's morality, does it influence how we play? So yourself, did this game's sense of morality factor into your decisions? No, because it doesn't have a a very complex sense of morality. I mean, morality is a system which, as you said, uh, helps determine whether behavior is right or wrong. The only behavior that Undertale ascribes any weight to is killing. So... It's completely do whatever you want as long as you don't kill. Right, there's enemies you threaten. There's all sorts of stuff you do that might be unsavory. Right, and beyond that, it presents the same dichotomy as other games where in its tagline, uh, nobody has to die, etc. Undertale is obviously calling out the way that other games force you to kill things to progress. So if you want to beat Undertale in the pacifist way, what it forces you to do is befriend everyone. And I didn't like the characters, and I didn't enjoy reading their dialogue or have any desire to befriend them for the most part. (laughs) Damn. Uh, So the dichotomy it presented me was kill or befriend, not kill or not kill. Not kill or not kill? Right. (laughs) 
Right. Versus kill or not kill. I, I know. I know. I just... Um, yeah. I don't want to play a game about befriending things, so I don't really... The morality doesn't even factor in. Okay. That makes sense. That, uh... Yeah. You're playing this for entertainment value, not for in-game morality value, and uh, you know, I bet that th- those of us that wanted to befriend things thought that usually it was charming or funny in some way that, uh, you know, we saw Dapper Blook. Yeah, so I think that the point there is to take away there is that is the game really making a moral argument to you, or is the game using appealing characters to encourage you to further your interactions with them. I mean, I'm not saying it has to be a challenging game, but for the morality to be challenging, make me save someone who is a white supremacist who thinks that all rabbits should die. Uh, There is uh, one exception there is Undine. But Undine... You also forgot Flowey. Undine has a very conventional honor-based morality that I don't think is unappealing to the majority of, well, I don't know. I don't think that that is commonly presented in a negative light, fictionally. But something that actually is a character that tells you, yeah, uh, like Flowey, I guess, a character that tells you, I'm going to go kill people if you let me live. That is challenging morally. That's not anything this game approaches, and that's why I don't think the morality is really a an actual dimension to the but, choices but that it offers. will kill, kill people if you let him live. Is that, I, I mean, I guess... If you played the pacifist run, you'll find that Flowey, after you beat him in the neutral ending, he says, kill me, I'm going to start killing everyone if you don't kill me. I'm going to kill everyone you love if you don't kill me. And he keeps yeah. encouraging you to kill him, but you could still mercy him. Yeah, okay. So... Yeah, so I mean, that's uh, an instance of it, but I don't think that that pervades the game yeah okay so you don't think undertale is realistic enough no it has nothing to do with realism i don't think it's morally challenging yeah but i think it'd be more more morally challenging if it had used more concrete examples from the real world would it not i mean sure because the real world is more morally complex but as you said undertale is not a game that's attempting gray or moral approaching grayness. gray moral areas, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing we need to not get carried away with is that not every story is trying to tell, you know, something that's morally gray. A lot of movies will tell, uh, have themes that we'll all agree with or find obvious, but, you know, the point isn't things being morally gray or being morally challenged. Like, just because the game presents you with a moral choice, it doesn't have to be something complex. And I meant used infamous the other day. Where, in reference to that one GDC article, they were complaining about how when Infamous or Fable or whatever gives you the choice to be good and evil, that they have no decision to be evil. It's like, that's not the point. Or Did I say decision? They have no reason to be evil. It's like, that's yeah, that's it doesn't need to, because that's besides the point. The- right, but this doesn't even come down to that gameplay dimension, what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is on a purely moral level... The game stacks the deck heavily to one side. And so it's like, it's, as I said, the inverse of a game that asks you to kill solely terrorists who are going to blow up New York City if you don't kill them. So this is just the flip side of that. 
uh, it asks you to spare a bunch of tree-hugging bunnies. But they're also trying to kill you. They are, but it becomes fairly evident that... I mean, it's papyrus, right? That uh, they're only trying to kill you on the outside, and that's a very thin layer to get past. It still hurts and dangerous, and you can still die even if you are, even if you do have determination to come back to life. Maybe if the enemies were more difficult, then that might, you know, if that could be one way of introducing. Uh, yeah, but more... it, then you lose accessibility. It, no, it, it just doesn't need to do that. It doesn't matter. Sure, I mean, a lot of people, you know, want moral grayness. In their no, stories. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I want moral grayness. I'm saying the game is not morally challenging. Well, what makes something morally challenging? I mean, besides... What I've just described. I mean, you make a difficult decision. You don't need to be making difficult decisions. You don't need to be, but the game is not morally challenging. That doesn't mean it's a bad game. That doesn't mean it doesn't accomplish what it sets out to do. It just means it's not a first-person shooter. It's not Mario Kart, and it's also not morally challenging. Uh, so you're saying it's immoral to use the blue shell? <laughs> <laughs> well, it does uh, sort of imply certain political dimensions, doesn't it? <clears throat> All right. Any other thoughts on Undertale's morality? Well, I do want to add one thing, and this is just my personal theory, and it's that it's not so much Undertale's whether what its morality is or isn't. It's more that I think it has a lesson to impart which is that um, I think Undertale is giving the player a position of power, and, I mean, it's the old chestnut of with great power comes great responsibility. So um, I think Undertale is trying to put you in a position of power and seeing what you do with it in relation to uh, other weak entities. So, yeah, Undertale's attempting to tempt you by saying you could so easily kill these guys? Yeah, I... Yeah, I think it's just trying to teach the lesson that if you find yourself in a position of power, that you should use that more conducively in real life. Yeah, it is worth noting the backstory makes a big deal about how about how humans have sturdier souls. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sans pretty much explicitly asks you that, right? He asks you something that's basically, with great power, does or does not come great responsibility. Unless he didn't ask other people that. I didn't remember... Adrian, it sounded like you had gotten out everything you wanted to say about Undertale's morality. Yeah, it was easy for me to comply with it. You know, I did like the characters, and uh, do I agree with... Yes, nobody here is disagreeing with it. Undertale's combat system is complex. You have multiple ways to win, and it requires multiple skills, whether it's puzzling out how to spare an enemy or reacting fast enough to dodge its attacks. How does Undertale handle its difficulty? We compare our individual playstyles and how they change the difficulty of the game. By the way, off-topic, Undertale's difficulty curve is weird. Yes. Toriel, um, like, the first enemy, the enemies in the ruins where you have, like, Jumping frogs, a guy who dances and does literally nothing. You can run into him, actually. <laughs> I didn't know that. And then you come to Toriel, where she gives some of the hardest patterns in the game. And then they're even... They're actually a variation that the freaking final boss uses. Yeah, that was a huge jump. 
to be fair, if you are at 2 HP, she avoids hitting you. I didn't know that. Like, there's absolutely nothing you can do. I didn't know that. You you can trick her to killing you. What? But yeah, I was very reliant on items. Is that usual, or was I being kind of scummy there? No, I I had to use items too, because when you're playing a pacifist run, uh, unless you're keeping... Because the only thing you'll have to mitigate damage will be, you know, getting things like a, a doo-doo or a bandana so that you can increase your defense. But you're not going to level up and increase your health. At least I presume that's what it does. So healing items are the only thing... Healing items and equipment for armor are all you have. Otherwise, you can only take so many hits. How much HP did you guys have at the Or did you have at the end of a pacifist run? The same as in the beginning. It was like 20 HP. Okay, yeah, so you end up with like 60-some, I guess, if you kill stuff. Yeah, and I remember, uh, Shouty, you actually brought this up where Flowey, or maybe you should just bring it up now, what Flowey says to you about playing a pacifist. Flowey doubts your skills and, and patience in being a pacifist and says that you'll get frustrated and eventually start killing anyway. Yeah, so I guess what's interesting is that while I found it easier for the game to push me, and I even thought it was actually easier to play, uh... The irony is that um, up to a certain point, it wasn't. But by the point where I was going through the bosses, uh, I actually welcomed the challenge, so it didn't actually frustrate. I, I didn't ever reach the period of frustration he implied where, you know, are you just going to give up and finally do it and kill someone because you're dying all the time? I never actually hit that point. <laughs> it's funny because the only time that happened is the boss right before you get that spiel. <laughs> <laughs> I say you got frustrated by Toriel. Yeah, I didn't figure her out. I spent like a half hour on it and was like, eh, I'll come back to it. How could you get frustrated by Toriel? I don't know. I don't... When she said dot dot dot, I don't think that means let me do that again. Yeah, <laughs> I think that did nothing. And you know, when you're learning the game and you don't quite get how it works, it's easy not to get what that means. Yeah, but it's Toriel. Yeah, no, I could see that one thing at the beginning of the name... Being the thing that screws over people's runs, and then only for them to find out way later in the game that they basically messed up at the beginning. Shouty, are you the only one who bothered to realize how to beat her the correct way before realizing it was too late? I mean, I've also played the demo, so I knew the very first time I played the demo, I killed Toriel, but that was like oh, one, oh, and then you can't years ago. Us when we do it. Oh. I yeah, mention- but that, but the demo isn't canon, so it doesn't matter. Oh man, yeah, I didn't actually kill Toriel on my first time. Oh well, that was yeah. another thing about the beginning that put, that I forgot to mention that sort of pushed me to the pacifist run is when you run into the Toriel and you're doing such weak ass damage. I figured that you know it is probably just easier to find whatever pacifist route because I was still kind of taking it literally about. You know what the game says on the store page, where it's a friendly RPG where nobody has to die, so you probably can uh, do that fight without having to kill her, because literally every other enemy in the ruins you could do that with, so you know why not the boss? I also wanted to mention that the learning curve on boss attack patterns... I mean, you were kind of getting at this when you were comparing uh, normal enemies versus bosses, but like that's strangely consistent. The bosses get super complex, and it's fun to try to play along, but uh, I really needed items to get over that learning hurdle. Yeah, the bosses can get pretty tough. Alright. Shouty, what did you think of Undertale's difficulty curve? 
Yeah, I think it's difficult to curve a subjective because it, people are going to find different bullet patterns of different difficulties. So there's such variety to the bullet patterns that there's no reliable way to say this game has such and such difficulty curve? Yeah, I mean, you have bosses. I guess those are like a spike in difficulty, but there's no... It's not a curve, it's just a spike. I know uh, Undine in particular made zero sense to me, but there might be someone else who, you know, they clicked with. Undyne feels like a climax, if we're going to use a dramatic structure in Undertale. Yeah. Wario fan, what did you think of Undertale's difficulty curve? It's hard to say. I, I think it was like you just slowly adapt to the new situation, and then it's like, oh, now I understand. With each of the bosses, it's like, uh-oh, uh, how am I going to get out of this one? Oh, that's that's not so bad. So, Wario fan, you found that the difficulty curve, it gave you room to learn? Yeah, I think it's intimidating at first, but then, like, oh, that's okay, I can I can handle this. Especially with, uh, I don't know, like, I, I think the, the, the one that stands out to me, and I guess it's kind of an obvious one, is uh, the Ascor fight. It, where I was like, how am I going to beat this? I don't understand. I, I don't get it. Why is the game hard now? Am I going to have to kill? And then it's like, oh, no, I just got to play more carefully. <laughs> <laughs> I felt that way about the Flowey fight. That like, That is really crazy. Yeah. That, I, th- I think that's, that's like a false uh, illusion of difficulty because, well, yeah. if you die, you just get... Just put back where you started, and I think like Flowey's attacks start doing less and less damage. You can yeah, tell it, the game's broken off the rails at that point. Yeah, that it, it does, at that point the game almost doesn't even care about setting up fair patterns because it does um do some pretty cheap shit. But it's it's going nuts, so I kind of don't. It's not that big a deal. All right, wait, what? Hello. What do you think of Undertale's difficulty curve? Uh, I still haven't played much. From what I saw, which isn't still isn't much, it is a papyrus fight, which is the furthest I've gotten. Was a big jump from everything else, especially with its uh the gameplay change, which is really cool. They all the bo- major bosses do that, don't they? Isn't that the one where you have they turn your heart into like a platformer? Yeah, it turns blue and you have gravity. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was really cool. Okay. Did you find yourself using any healing items? Oh yeah, constantly. I actually did the fight twice because I had gotten the the piece of the snowman and accidentally ate it in that fight. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> what is that? I, glass save and I, I forget what they even does. I, I yeah, highly recommend that online. For me, Sans just called me at the end and said, "You made a snowman happy." <laughs> Great. Neat. Take the doorknob. Oh, oh, wait, sorry for spoiling. Cut that out. <laughs> that was from. A, ignore that. Okay. I didn't hear anything. Good. Sorry. <laughs> Alright. Uh, yourself, what did you think of Undertale's difficulty curve? The game's just so easy that it's hard for me to get a feel for the difficulty curve. Like, it's fine. It's not bad. So when you say it's easy, is that the bullet patterns are easy, or is that, like, you have a ton of healing items? No, I didn't use that much healing items. Probably only bought three or four... Attacks just don't do that much damage, and fights don't last long enough that I ever... I never needed to get to the point where I actually had to dodge everything. Mm. So so the the experience and the shortened fights really do make a difference. Yeah. 
I don't know. The, the fights aren't. How many turns do you think a fight is when you're doing a, the befriend? Because I did a befriend on the spider boss, and that was definitely not any faster than fighting. She seemed like a usual length. Yeah. So I just assumed that it was the same length, effectively, whether you friended up or killed him. Is it normally a lot longer if you kill them? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it seems like it takes 20 or 30 turns to kill them. Hmm, that seems like a lot. You definitely see all of the attack patterns for each boss and more. Okay. Uh, Adrian, did you have any other thoughts on Undertale's difficulty curve? No, it's just now that I don't know what to think about the difference between the, the violin run versus the pacifist run now. It does actually take as long to yeah, kill the bosses. May as well go for the no mercy. Yeah, because like, my whole thing was saying that, oh, it's only the bosses where that changes. Because, you know, based on the last podcast and the one that failed recording, it sounded like most bosses could be killed earlier if you took the violent approach. And now I'm not even so sure. Mm-hmm. So now that's got me confused. But I mean, how many... Like, how many times do you have to talk to the boss to get it to do whatever, or to die? With a lot of the, with some of the bosses, you don't even talk to them, you just have to wait them out. Yeah, I feel like that's typically how you deal with bosses. With wounding, you only wait it out so you reach a period where you can run away. Yeah. And so, Metatony X, that one you wait out. You don't even need to do the thing with the heart where you, you shoot his heart, because his arms and legs will just fall off anyways. If that's so, not true, you need to you need to get ratings up before uh, Metaton says so he's over. All right, that is true. So you need to brag because I could not tell actually if you needed to do that or not. Oh, if you eat glam burgers or star yeah. phase, the ratings go way up. Yeah, you get points for and products. <laughs> Taking notes here. These <laughs> uh, mics easier. I've, I've got my spider stuff safe for Muffet, but I'm I'm gonna try just in case. Uh, yeah. Same with uh, the spider one. You definitely just have to wait around until she gets a phone call from the ruined spiders that say, hey, leave that guy alone because he was nice to us. Or do you need a donut in front of her? Yeah. And um, Toriel, no, Toriel, you do actually have to hit the spare command enough times that she just can't bring herself to fight you anymore. But it is still repeating the same thing. It's not like going through a unique dialogue tree with her. Right. And Papyrus is another one where it's just flirt with him a few times, then last through as his special attack that the dog eats. You don't even have to flirt with him, do you? I don't know, because I haven't exactly dug into that to the game that much that I know what parts you can ignore and what parts you can what parts you like have you, to do. I feel like you got mentioned last time we tried this. Yeah, where where one of the things like basically saying you like Papyrus' spaghetti, you don't actually have to say that. You can you can basically get him pissed off uh, saying his spaghetti sucks and still defend him anyways. It won't count uh, for or against you. You mentioned the dog eating his special attack. Is that like the end of the fight when you befriend him? No, it's it's like yeah. one or two oh, turns okay. after that because, you know, the joke is, oh, I just do a normal attack and it's just good. And it's this fucking long ass <laughs> normal <laughs> attack, which may as well have been his special attack, which is kind of the joke. Because he uh, gets and- this. When you fight him, he gets through the special attack three times, probably. What? Yeah. Then, yeah. And assuming you were getting all the, the weapons, 
the, the best weapons yeah. and, you know, leveling up by killing whatever you found. Yep. Then, yeah, I think I was right the first time saying that the pacifist run is actually easier. Because that's what I felt in the beginning of the game when enemies, you know, they took only 24 oh. damage, only does like an eighth of their health bar. And I'm like, I can spare yeah. them in like one or two turns. And that's what I assumed would kind of work out through the whole game. And Yeah, it only takes two turns to kill almost any enemy. Some of them you can kill in one turn as long as you get your, all your criticals. Okay, uh, then So it I, seems like fighting in pacifists is the same on regular yeah. enemies. I got the sense that the entire game was probably the exact same length, regardless of whether you fought or did actions. But I didn't do actions consistently enough to tell. Thank you all for joining me. Before we leave, uh, Waithwant, I wanted to ask, who is your favorite character in Undertale? Uh, out of what I've played, Napstablook so far. Alright, I love uh, Napstablook. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I read it, too. <laughs> Shouty, what is your favorite character in Undertale? Well, Papyrus is objectively the best character. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to go with Papyrus. Can you mm. give us a new hair? I don't, I don't want. I don't want to. I, you know, it really bothers me that people think his voice sounds like Skeletor from He-Man, but uh, like the the sound uh, effect that plays when he's talking is like a throaty growl. So I think it should sound more like that. Yeah. More like a. <laughs> oh, cool! You did, you did it. You said you wouldn't, but you, you got did. tricked. Hooray. I know, I tricked myself into doing it. <laughs> Just like Papyrus would. <laughs> Adrian, who is your favorite character in Undertale? Uh, that's a tough one for me. I kind of like the dummy. The the one in the ruins or the one in the... Uh... Yeah, the one that's just a plain dummy that doesn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the one in the waterfall, because he's a, a dumbass. Yeah. I like how he like his head separates from his body and he gets all crazy on the screen. Yeah, that uh, yeah. That, that was pretty funny. Mario fan, who is your favorite character in Undertale? Alphys. Okay. Why? Well, uh, uh, because we both wear glasses, so we've got a lot in common. And you both uh, wear lab coats. Yeah, all the time. I'm wearing like two right now. <laughs> I mean, you wear flannel. Uh, is flannel a lab coat now? It can be. Open your mind, Shouty. I don't want to. This sounds like a dangerous you journey. A lab coat made out of anything. If you're in a lab <laughs> and you're wearing a coat, it's a lab coat. There we go. Hey. Yeah, I, even I if it's like a windbreaker. I thought lab coat was like what you call the fur on a black Labrador. <laughs> uh, Why a black brain. Labrador? But. Uh, you wow. could skin a black lab and make a lab coat out of it, I think. Oh, no. A lab coat made out of lab coat? He'll <laughs> <laughs> grow his fur back. So, good luck on the skin, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, no that's... The fur will cover up the skin that's missing. That's... <laughs> yeah. No, that's fucked. <laughs> okay, we've gone into the immoral territory. <laughs> 
Alright, one last thing though. Yourself, who is your least favorite character? Mm, well, I would say Alphys, but I quite enjoyed torturing Alphys by saying all the things she didn't want to hear. <laughs> like, um, why Alphys do you hate? Huh? Why do you what hate Alphys? What was that sentence? Uh, <laughs> just whiny baby. Was. Whiny baby posting on Twitter all the time. Don't care. <laughs> that was really yeah, annoying, by the way. Are, are you saying something about me here? Or is... <laughs> uh, no, you wear flannel, so... Yeah. Oh, okay. It's not really the same. <laughs> um, I guess Sans is my least favorite, because he's also a whiny baby. He's not. Uh, he's, he, he's, he's just judgmental. He is kind of baby-sized. <laughs> yeah, he, he looks like a baby, though. So... <laughs> I don't know. I never thought a game would make me hate a skeleton, but here we are. <laughs> I thought you hate Papyrus. Mm, he's just—he's all right. He's kind of stupid, but I don't hate stupid head. people. Hmm. That's rude. Words to live by. All right, Adrian. Any final words? Wait, what's your favorite character? My favorite character, um... By Greg Livingston. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not a biography. (laughs) What? (laughs) I mean, uh... I guess it's a... It's a a pretty cheap pick, but Sans. But if I had to do a more unique pick, I would would say the guy who works at the Glam Burger. (laughs) (laughs) I actually... That is the one side quest that I actually did. And I kind of like Braddy and Caddy. They're kind of cool. Yeah, I want to spend more time with them. All right. Uh, Adrian, any final words? Undertale was a lot of fun. Don't give me shit because I said was. Undertale was a lot of fun. (laughs) Uh, I don't know when I'll do a second playthrough because... uh, I kind of want to forget it a bit of the story so I can feel fresh to me again. And uh, I want to watch Mew Mew with Alphys. <laughs> Mew Mew Kitty. That, yeah, it really sounds like a euphemism, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Wario fan, any final words? Well, I think this discussion on morality was very enlightening, and I look forward to when we do this again for Shadow the Hedgehog. Oh, my God. My shadow says, damn, that's immoral. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, That's what my mom says. uh, That's a great story. (laughs) Don't tell it, please. (laughs) Shouty, any final words? Not really. I think I said enough. All right. Yourself, any final words? Nah, I don't think it's very ambiguous how I feel about Undertale. <laughs> I can't tell. Uh, and and Waithbot, give us some inspiring final words here. I'm so glad I could be here to talk with all you guys for like 15, oh no. 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> God, you just assume better faith, Golem. <laughs> Thank you all for joining me, and I look forward to talking more about Undertale.
All music in this podcast is from Undertale. I'll leave you with this final thought. How much of a game's morality is from the game itself, and how much is what we impose on the game from our own experience? Can games persuade us to consider moral systems that we might otherwise dismiss? What bearing does role-playing have on morality, considering it's all fake? If you have any comments or questions, please email vgcommune at gmail.com. The Commune is produced in accordance with the ethical standards of the Internet, which is to say, none at all. We should do the, uh, the pushing the guy on the train tracks problem. That'd be fun, right? Uh, How does that go? <laughs> There's a... Um, there's a train coming, and it's about to go off a cliff, and you can stop the train if you push a guy onto the tracks, but then you'd be killing the guy. So, like, what do you do? Like, is it okay for you to take an active role in this? Or, you know, it it brings up a whole series of questions. It was just a, it was just a jokey reference. Yeah, there's a... There's a name for those kind of morality tests. I don't remember what it is. Catch it's not 22. the uh, traveling salesman issue. <laughs> uh. No, it's the uh, Chinese room. That's what it is. <laughs> Wait, no, right. it's the Monty Hall problem. <laughs> do you kill Monty Hall to save the rest of humanity? Or do you have to let Monty Hall live? <laughs> so is it isn't he already dead? Well guess Wait, the timeline we're What's living in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs>